What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. Before we jump into an awesome episode with Tara Bell, uh, a few quick announcements. Uh, number one, today's episode is brought to you by Mountain Primal Meat Company. Mountain Primal is an all-American ranch out in beautiful Colorado. They raise Highland cattle uh, that is all natural. One of my favorite things uh, while I'm out and about is actually their fuel sticks. Uh, like I said, they're all natural with no preservatives or weird stuff pumped into them. Uh, they're great for hiking, hunting, road trips, or mad dashes between meetings. Uh, be sure to check them out at mountainprimal.com and use code Vanguard for 15% off. Uh, number two, while you're checking out uh, Mountain Primal, check out my website, vanguardstories.com, uh, for additional sponsor deals, and uh, make sure to pick up some swag while you're at it. I do my best to uh, release shirts and designs as much as I can to uh, keep up with the times, so be sure to snag some, some merch and tag me on the Instagrams, and I would love to uh, keep in contact. And uh, number three, be sure to follow me on the Instagram. It's uh, the Vanguard Project with periods in between. It's uh, where I keep everybody up to date on podcast releases, giveaways, and uh, other random ass content that I hope you all enjoy. And uh, other than that, please take a half a second to like, subscribe, and review the show. It means the world to me, but I am going to stop yammering and uh, let's roll an awesome episode. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project. For those of you new to the show, my name is Austin Jardine, and uh, I'm just some dude outside of uh, Boise, Idaho, that likes to sit down, talk to people, get their stories, and uh, hopefully give you guys some good information, insights, some fun tells, tales to tell to hopefully get you excited about something, maybe give you a new way of thinking, some tools in the toolbox to tackle life with. And with that being said, I've got Tara Bell, and I'm glad that you told me beforehand because when we first hopped on, I said Tara, and you were like, it's Tara. So I appreciate you because I hate being that guy that gets people's names wrong because I've done that a couple of times, but we're recording. It's Monday. Uh, we just, you got yours in. I got my little coffee grinds things and we're, we're about to kill it. So how are you? I'm doing really well. Um, I want to say thank you so much for having me on. I am beyond appreciative and I feel very grateful. This is my first podcast and um, I'm just really grateful and really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited too, because you and I got connected a couple of weeks ago and you're actually up in Sun Valley, which for people that aren't aware is not too far from me, but you're a little bit higher up in the mountains and it's a lot prettier than good old Boise. <laughs> Boise is really beautiful. We just have really interesting, a really interesting landscape. We go from really high desert to, um, or low desert actually, all the way through to high desert to some mountains, to rugged mountains, all the way up to the sawtooth. Right. So within like a 40 mile span, you can basically cover what the Everything. rest of Idaho looks like. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's nuts. That drive up there is really pretty too. I, I like driving up through, um, oh gosh, I totally just blanked, but yeah, the, the road up there is actually really fun and really pretty. So, but yeah. to kick us off, you know, if you don't mind just introducing yourself a little bit about kind of the projects that you're working on. So that way we can kind of frame up uh, your story. Yeah. And I actually too, um, you know, Sun Valley, a lot of people know where Sun Valley is, but I grew up actually in Haley and Bellevue, mm -hmm. which are more kind of like the working class um, per se towns where most of the people that work up there um, grew up down here. It's a little bit more rural, a little bit more ranchy, you might say. Yeah. Um, so uh, I grew up 
down south, which is basically where the airport is in Haley. Um, I am, what am I? I'm fourth generation from this valley. My great grandfather homesteaded out in Muldoon Canyon and was a sheep rancher. He came over from Scotland. Um, my, my grandparents were born in Haley. My parents were born in the Sun Valley Lodge when it used to be a hospital during the war. One wing of it was um, a hospital if you worked for Union Pacific um, or you were um, injured and you were doing rehab there. So my parents were born there. And then I was born at home in Triumph, which is like an old hippie mining town, um, <laughs> which is, I was like, my dad built a birthing chair and I was built, uh, no doctor. I was born at home out there. And I was raised by a very wild spirited mother who is uh, 72 years old. And she still hikes 18 miles a day in the backcountry, oh And, um, you know, mess with Pam. And uh, my dad's kind of good old boy done construction here my whole life. So um, raised by, I was, my parents were divorced when I was really young. And so I was raised um, in two households and um, at a pretty young age, like there was really nothing else to do here except ski in the winter. And that's kind of like when your mom worked five jobs, like as a single mom, she's dropped you off at our little hill out here in Haley <laughs> called Motor Run. Yeah. And that was kind of my babysitter growing up. So skiing was a big part of me. It runs, um, both my parents were on the U.S. ski team and my aunts and uncles. So my great grandpa, um, fought, um, he's in the 10th mountain division. Okay. Which, um, uh, during World War II, uh, they fought on skis in Italy. Um, so I have a huge background in skiing and I just started ski racing. Uh, I got sponsors at a really young age. I was really lucky. A lot of people believed in me and I was on the U S ski team. I think by the time I was 15 Wow. and raced and, uh, uh, raced really competitively, um, and ended up, uh, making the U S ski team to the, the next level, the B team. And I broke my neck um, ski racing right after that. So I kind of had to like restart all over again and, um, going through that at a really young age taught me a lot about fortitude and about working super hard and about, you know, a million other things. Then I made the U S ski team again. Um, I took a post-grad year out of high school to ski race on the U S ski team and I got in a car wreck. So I kind of like started over again. And then by that time I got scholarship offers to a bunch of D one schools. So I was like, okay, I need to go to school. So I ended up choosing Montana state. And the only reason why was because they had the crystal bar there um, <laughs> in Bozeman. I like went to this bar. I was supposed to be at the meeting with my coach, like where you sign your papers for your scholarships. And I went straight to the crystal bar and there was like hot cowboys and there was like country music. And I was like, I'm definitely going to school here. Like, I don't need any other reason to be here. So I raced for Montana state for a couple of years and we were D one. And I just decided that like, it was pretty intense and I'd been racing at a high level for a long time. So anyways, I ended up, um, Graduating from school in Colorado at Western State College and uh, wasn't racing anymore. And the X Games were in Crested Butte that year. So I uh, started doing ski across in the X Games. And uh, I'm actually sitting here. I got my knees injected today with cortisone. That's why I'm not sitting at a desk talking to you. I'm sitting <laughs> in my daughter's room because my knees are so shot. Um, but yeah, so that kind of just launched off um, a lot of different things in my life, a career and um, doing uh, I was an announced for ESPN and the Vans Triple Crown of Pro Snowboarding. So um, I did on-camera work for a really long time. <laughs> that's a lot of info. That's a lot. That's that's super cool, though. So I guess I guess maybe my first question is: so a lot of people that I talk to, um, I like to understand when they went through, you know, major changes, right? How mm -hmm. how they approach that and handle that. So if I could maybe just start with. When you were competing, and this is maybe a little off topic, but I just, just thought about it. So when you were competing, I mean, if there's somebody out there that is trying to break into, I guess the, I would call that a pretty upper echelon of co competition, right? Um, what do you feel like was most important for you in being a successful competitor? 
Um, you know, honestly, and this is being really raw, but, um, I grew up in a pretty dysfunctional household Mm -hmm. where it wasn't fun to be at home. So my motivation was the faster I skied, the more I won, the more I didn't have to be at home. And I know that might sound like kind of a sad story or what have you, but my motivation, um, my parents both worked full-time, worked a ton. They weren't at a ton of my ski races because they couldn't be. And it was the one thing in my life that made me feel really good about myself and really proud. And so my motivation was it feels good to be successful. It feels good to matter. It feels good to be important. And it felt really good to go really fast. I like to go really fast (laughs) in everything that I do. And so for me, I think if I was talking to a younger girl, I would just say work as hard as you can. You have a very small window to train and to get in the mental game. And, you know, the mental game is such a huge part. My brother was a professional baseball player and my other brother um, played college football. And I think sometimes the only thing that held all three of us back from succeeding where we could be is our mental game. I mean, physically, we're all really gifted and we were really lucky. So I think um, I would have read more books on my mental game. I would have learned how to meditate at a really young age. I would have learned how to focus and I would have put everything I had into it. Um, I did have a lot of accidents. And so that was kind of a kickback, but it also too, like set me up for success, I think for the rest of my life. Right. So when you say the mental game, um, I mean, obviously having gone through it and, and learned what you know now, what would be a couple of things that you would say, Hey, here are a couple, you know, either states of mind you need to be in things you need to be aware of, or maybe self-mastery that you would suggest to a younger, either younger you or another female going into it. Yeah. And I know, I know meditating is pretty like woo woo to some people, but whether it's meditating or keeping your focus or learning how to not be distracted really easily. And also the pressure of competition, like we can relate this I haven't even talked about yet what I do, but, <laughs> um, cause I kind of went on and on about my, you know, my first 20 years of my life, but you know, all those things about succeeding and about the mental part of it and staying focused and just, and not letting the outside stuff distract you. It's so important to stay on your goal and your path. I think we're all so easily, it's like squirrel, you know, or like, I'm going to get on Instagram. I'm going to get on this instead of like, no, I'm going to read another marketing book for my business. It's like, stay on your path, stay focused, make sure you're having fun. That's the biggest thing. Like I would tell kids all the time, like, if you're not having fun, I don't want you to be doing this. Let's just make it fun. Let's break it down to the basic things about why you really do this. How does it feel to you? stay in the fun zone because your body's been trained as an elite athlete to do what it does. And if you're having fun, you're going to haul ass, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. So I know that some people, and I, and I've been here where you're working so hard at something that it no longer becomes fun. Right. Yeah. Did you get to that point at all? Yeah, I did. When I was my second year of racing division one ski racing at Montana state, it wasn't fun anymore. I was not doing that great in college. I was like, okay, my grades are suffering. I think I'm pretty burnt out here. And I just kind of knew, and you know, it's the progression from when you talk to a lot of professional athletes, like when my brother quit playing professional baseball, you go through a massive depression when you, because it was like your full identity. It was what made you happy. It was, it was like your total identity of who you were and you're used to that. So I think every athlete goes through a point when they decide to hang them up of those next two years of like, who am I? What am I made of? what else makes me happy besides using my body? You know, like you really have to like rediscover yourself in that time. Okay. So when you were going through that, and this is something that, that always seems to interest me because everybody goes through this a lot different, right? Is when you were going through that time of rediscovering your identity, or maybe when you hit that point of, of depression or whatever state that feels, you know, how did you identify that? And then I guess, uh, I guess course correct and find a path forward. You know, I think for me, it, you know, sometimes when you, 
are too worried about things and you're hyper-focused, things don't flow naturally the way that they're meant to in your life. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to open my arms, open my eyes, open my heart, be super aware of what's going around me, making connections with people, investigating new things that sound interesting to me. And that's how I got involved with doing on camera um, announcing for ESPN during the X games. I got hurt again. (laughs) (laughs) It's like my life lesson. And they were like, you know what? You speak really well. And like, you know, a lot about all the sports, the X games, like, let's just throw you on camera and see how you do. And you just have to take chances to try things new. It's really the only way you're going to find, I think, any kind of path and not be shut down to new opportunities and ideas. And if you don't like it, that's okay. You can go on to the next thing, but you don't want to be shutting things down and closing doors before you even have them fully open. Yeah. So that's what I did after that. I was like, you know what? Like I'm 20 years old and I have the rest of my life ahead of me. Let's try to meet and network and, and, and take chances and be brave and like, you know, all those things and things just started happening. Yeah. When you uh, got offered the, uh, the X games, you know, um, announcing, was that a, um, a risk for you or did you kind of know like, Hey, this is actually something that I never thought about that I wanted to do. Or were you kind of like, ah, did you have to be like coaxed into it at all? No, I didn't have to be coaxed into it. I think, um, when I went to school, I was in uh, communications. And so, um, I learned a lot about communication. I spoke a lot. They didn't have a broadcast journalism department there. And so I was never able to be on camera. And I, I was like, I literally in my life, I think my mantra is like open heart, open mind and like, send it, you know, like, (laughs) I mean, what's it going to hurt? You know, I can't hurt anything and I'm just going to learn new things and meet new people. And being on camera for me is, it doesn't make me nervous. Actually, um, speaking in front of people makes me more nervous than actually being in front of a lens because I can't really? see, I can't see the audience. Yeah. I can speak freely and openly, but when I can see people's faces in an, at an event, I can either see the reactions and I can see things. So I, I would get way more nervous in that scenario. Okay. So when you started doing the X games things, uh, the X, X games announcing, um, did you feel like at that point you had refound a sense of purpose? Um, or were you still kind of like, Hey, this is temporary. You're still kind of figuring out what comes next. It was hard to watch the athletes, all of my friends competing because the rush of skier cross is so insane that I just, I missed it really bad. But on the other hand too, I felt really grateful that I got the opportunity and I could really, you know, I could interview every athlete and I knew the course and I knew where all the bumps were and I knew how fast they were going. And so the interviews I got were great. And I was able to still be involved in the sport, um, you know, in a different capacity. And I think that when you retire from being an athlete, you have to find that you have to find that connection. So you still feel alive and awake, but you, you know, but you're, you're just doing something different and somehow you have to digest that in your mind. Okay. Okay. So before we move on post X games, um, was there anything that you feel like you learned throughout this time that either, you know, young females, uh, student athletes, anything that, or anyone that is maybe, transitioning out of sports uh you feel might need to know so that they can navigate their sense of loss as well yeah i mean i think during those you know couple of years or however long it takes you to process all that um you know if you need to go to counseling it's okay if you need to get involved in another sport to feel that adrenaline like keep that going you don't want to like lose those cortisol levels to go to full depression because you're not training so hard anymore. So start training in a different capacity, start reading as many books as you can and learning about maybe post, you know, retired athletes, like mental state, because I know there are books out there and keep doing something that makes you super happy and that you love. So you can keep your mind in the right place. Um, If I could go backwards, I wish I would have gone to a journalism school because the connections that you make in school, I think are much more powerful than just happening to fall into it the way I did. And if I would have gotten started younger, 
um, and worked with um, the right agent to help me, um, I think I would have been on a, a, a larger trajectory path. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So after X games, what did you start working on then? I started just hosting more TV shows. Um, I, had, I um, moved down to LA a couple of times. I had agents down there, but to make it in the TV world in LA, you basically, and I'm sure a lot of people disagree with me, but you need to have some money basically to back you because living in LA is super expensive, working with agents, working, taking, you know, courses and classes and just monetarily. Um, I was a nanny for a family down there. And for me to have time to do both, I just couldn't swing it. Sure. So I ended up um, flying on a private jet with the family I was working with. And I was like, I think I'm done nannying. I love you guys. But um, they're like, well, do you want to be a flight attendant on, on Steve Wynn's jet? And I was like, yeah, for sure. Like, I'm totally open. I'm just like, I go through my life, like when, you know, doors open and I'm kind of ready to move forward, I do it. And it didn't mean I have to quit, quit doing TV. It just means I got to do, and I've always wanted to travel the world and on a private jet, I definitely knew I would see the world. And I got into that field and I worked in it for about five years and I was still hosting little shows here and there. Mm -hmm. But when you make money in TV, you need to have some big contracts to support yourself. It can't be like, 5,000 bucks here and 6,000 bucks there, you know, you really need to be like full time with a network or something. So, um, I just didn't have a lot of support behind me as far as that goes. So that's what I did for like the next five years. I traveled all over the world. Um, I worked for the UFC for the Fertitta family and, um, for a lot of different people. And through that experience, I got to see the world and got to work really, really hard. That job is really, really taxing surprisingly. And, um, and then I ended up getting pregnant. And then my whole existence changed and my identity all over again. Okay, man, that's also a lot. I mean, I I don't necessarily, because I know that you and I talked a little bit about uh, a couple of the key points that we wanted to cover too. Is there anything through that time too, maybe to kind of sum it up that you learned helped lead you into the direction that you're at now? I guess, do you feel like there was any crazy cool skills or networking or, I mean, what, what did you feel like you took away from, being on T or being in TV, flight attendant traveling. Right. So honestly, um, while I was in TV, while I was traveling a lot, um, I got myself into situations that um, my safety um, wasn't watched out for, or I didn't know how to defend myself. I got into situations across the country where I didn't have um, a knife on me when I wish I would have had one. Obviously you can't, can't take firearms. I mean, you can on some private jets, but flight attendants aren't allowed to. There was a lot of situations I felt really vulnerable, especially in TV. The TV world can be very nasty and very scary, as well as traveling all over the world, being the only female on a plane. All of our pilots in every capacity were men, and I was the only um, person in the back of the plane, which also meant I was the only one in charge of if somebody had a heart attack, if somebody was choking, um, if we had um, a chemical fire um, in the cabin. There was a lot of things that I realized I didn't know how to do. Okay. And through all of those experiences in my life, I just started racking up. Yeah, I'm pretty capable. I grew up in Idaho, total like Idaho girl, obviously my whole life, but man, there's a lot of things that I need to learn. Okay. Was that, so was there no like formal training or was that stuff that was all kind of thrown on you and you were expected to know, or was that? I no, mean, there is formal training. Um, obviously in TV, there's no training of sexual harassment, okay, <laughs> but, fair, um, fair. Uh, but as far as, yeah, you have to go through a thing called facts training. Okay. fly on private jets and um you do a lot of first aid you do like a lot of water emergency um landings and getting one off off the plane but when it comes to like um self-preservation 
and making sure you're safe across the country, there's no training for that. That's something that definitely, I could probably start another business since I think I've become <laughs> a serial entrepreneur, but there isn't really, um, you know, there is no formal training for self-defense, for situational awareness, um, for any, anything um, safety-wise. So that was like my first wake-up call as to what I needed to um, teach myself or classes to take, I guess. Okay. Okay. And is that what stirred uh, what came next Your your businesses and the training operations and things that you've got going? Yeah. Um, what basically came next is um, I had a baby and I was married and um, I got divorced um, two weeks before COVID hit. And I basically moved myself out and my daughter, I'm a single mom now and um, into affordable housing. And I had my business called Idaho Thunderbird it used to be a women's Western clothing boutique. And I had all my rodeos lined up, all my concerts, everything. And that's basically how I made my money. Okay. And within two weeks, I was divorced, living in affordable housing, and um, my business was flat. So within a few months, I obviously started to panic. And then I thought, well, I can take a deep breath and I can think about, I mean, the overused word, right, which is pivoting. But it was a massive pivot. And I just thought, okay, what do you know? Who do you know? What do people really need to learn? And people started reaching out to me like, Oh my God, like if all of our power gets shut off and we have no heat, like I don't even know how to start a fire. If I'm out somewhere and I need more water or not a water, I don't even know like even how to filter water or what device you even use. If I'm somewhere with my daughter on a backcountry road and I get a flat tire and my phone doesn't work, I don't even know what to do. And all these people were writing me on my page that were following me. And I just thought, wow, I have a huge opportunity to gather all of my best friends that are so talented and all the skills I have and create basically a survival, situational awareness, self-defense, self-reliance, firearm training, basically camps out in the mountains. And I think that's the best place to learn is when you're disconnected. It's like, adult, it's like adult youth or like adult summer camp. It, it totally and completely is like there is no other way to put it. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, we probably should have started with that because that's, you know, that's definitely what I'm doing now and how, you know, I found you. Um, but you know, sometimes in our lives, I mean, I think you get what you need, not what you want. Right. And I think that's how, you know, you start to really figure out where your passions are, what you love. And, you know, I want to leave it. I want to make a difference on this planet. I want to, I want to, I want to help people and selling cute hats and dresses. And, you know, I was, I, I wasn't, I mean, I was helping people, but not really. <laughs> So I want to, I want to build off of your, your overused or what the, the word you think is overused with pivoting. So when yeah. you decided to, to kind of change directions, was there a moment that you can remember that like helped you determine what you wanted to go do? Um, or like how, I guess my question is how did you break out of the, the spiral of panic? Um, well, during COVID, I spent a lot of time alone, um, with my little girl, she's six, her name is Bella. And I take her to do, I mean, we're in the woods as much as possible, mm -hmm. whether I'm hunting with her, skiing with her, being at the river with her, camping. I mean, everything we do. And I was thinking about all the things I was teaching her and all these moms were like, my daughters know that. I don't know that. And I think having the time, I mean, I'm actually feel blessed by COVID, like grateful it happened because I know I wouldn't be where I am today. I never really had the time to settle and to be quiet. And I've never really, I mean, it was all right in front of me. You know, my best friends are like, you know, like first responders and, and life flight leaders and survivalists and firearm instructors, instructors. And I thought, 
everyone is right in front of me. How did I not even, so sometimes you just, you don't see what you really need to see until it's the right time. And that's why they say everything is about, you know, it's about, my mom was always like, it's not what, you know, it's about who, you know, you know, there's so much (laughs) said with that. And there's so much luck involved that everything was right in front of my face. So I tore down my website of Idaho Thunderbird clothing and I just started building out. So I built all my own websites, done all my own marketing, put together all of these grown up camps. Um, I follow a ton of people. It's funny of a field craft shirt on. I follow Mike <laughs> Lover like a hawk. Yep. I think he is right on the money in everything he does. And I don't want to be him or be Tim Kennedy, but they're totally mentors of mine. And I gather the information that I can gather um, from their camps that they're having. Mine is a little bit different because there is a lot that actually emotionally happens with people. Okay. At these camps, a lot of women especially are triggered a lot. And a lot of them don't even really realize what they're capable of because nobody gave them a chance to learn. Sure. Okay. So let's talk about that a little bit. So I know that we talked about this a little bit kind of leading into it. So you are single mom running these camps, I guess what, when you started it, obviously you said, Hey, all of these people are in front of me and you've learned that there are these things that you need to know and be aware of, but you know, knowing I guess, what led you down the path of wanting to create this camp, right? Because in my opinion, the way that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this, right, is like, I can want to go learn all of these things for my own benefit. I have all of these friends in front of me that I can go learn from, and that would be cool to know. But what led you down the path of like, no, I know these things, I know these people, and I need to get this information out there. Does that question make sense? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of men have the opportunity to have friends that do all these things a lot. You know, for you, you have a lot of connections in the industry where you're like, oh, I want to go learn this for me and I can do this and I can do that. And I know this guy, but for a lot of women, I mean, you know, you talk to women that were raising families of five boys, they all shoot, they all had firearms training. They know how to load and unload safely. They know the rules. And then the dad never even asked the daughter, Hey, do you want to learn? And I just thought to myself, well, I don't even know if this is going to work. This is how I do everything, but I know this is important to me. And surely since I'm a single mom with a little girl, defending my own home and doing all these different things that I do. I want her to know, and there's gotta be moms out there that want to know. And so then when I started doing my marketing, all these guys started writing me, which I was shocking to me. Like, Hey, why is this just for women? Like, what are you doing? Like, I want to, I want to come, I want to learn all these (laughs) things because the people that I have, my team of people, I couldn't do any of this. My boyfriend's is the firearms instructor and I help, I assist him a lot, but I'm also running the entire camp. Um, we both had to become NRA instructors and get huge insurance policies to be able to do this. Sure. Um, with a lot of other firearm training before that. Um, and then I just started going for it and you get one mom talking and it is like fire, (laughs) right? It's like I'm throwing white gas on a fire because they're like, and they're having, they're like, they're having such an incredible experience and a great time with other women. And so for next year, I'm at, I'm actually doing, um, a couple of middle fork trips um, yeah. for couples as well. And we're going to do one trip before hunting season and do a bunch of long range stuff and, um, packing mules and horses, like learning how to pack, you know, them correctly. If you're going to use animals to pack and to hunt with, um, it's going to be on the middle fork at the BRC ranch. So now I've kind of evolved from just women's camps into a lot of team building camps for, um, corporations. And also just for, you know, you go out in the woods, you're usually with somebody, and if you have an emergency situation and both people aren't aware of what's going on and you, everybody panics and you're not responding, you're just reacting, yeah. your situation is going to get much worse. Right. 
Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does. So when you start teaching these, these uh, classes and skills and everything, do you mind walking through, uh, I guess, is it hands-on classroom? I mean, if somebody no shows up, how do you do it? Okay. No classroom. So basically everyone arrives at a certain time. I have your itinerary. I give everybody like their swag bag and there's usually like um, some kind of fire starting something in there, shelter, some kind of water purification. Everybody kind of gets a little kit because the classroom part of it, I mean, we are out in the wilderness. We're not in a building somewhere. Everything is outside. We go through the itinerary. We go through all the safety procedures. There's a lot of things that can happen while we're up there. And there always is something that happens. We've had two really small emergencies each time, but it also gives people a really good example of how things can go south really quickly. Sure. So we go through the emergency protocol and then we just jump right in. We usually have my uh, survival guide. His name is Benji Hill. Um, he starts going into, they go down to the river bottom. They start doing some foraging. They start looking around at um, what kind of things are accessible for fire starting. Um, he usually starts them on a ferro rod and then teaches them a lot of other different ways that they can start a fire. They dig sip wells uh, to learn how to get water. Um, if you do not have a water purifier with you, um, they go through uh, the best places to find shelter and to build shelter. That's usually the longest class. That's about like four to five hours. Okay. You know, we have um, my best friend is a Grand Canyon river guide. who has been cooking on the rivers out of Dutch ovens her whole life. That's she awesome. Cooks all the meals in Dutch ovens and does a little Dutch oven tutorial to teach people how to prep it, how to season it, how to get the coals right. Goes all through all the steps. Um, and then we do we have a great dinner. Everyone's pretty tired by them and they're pretty like, holy smokes, this is a lot to learn. <laughs> I try to have a yoga teacher up there sometimes for the women's ones, just to get everybody super grounded before the day starts, because people's emotions start firing like a lot more, especially when it comes to firearms. Mm -hmm. So I try to make it fun too. Like we love to tear it up. Like we love to have a good time. I don't want it to be so intense that it drives people away. I want them to everybody to get to know each other really well, have a lot of conversations. People ask a lot of questions. So the Q&A part at the end is pretty intense. Um, and then I have a self-defense instructor. She's 60. She's awesome. Her name's Diana Rathborn. She has been teaching in Minneapolis for a really long time. That part of the class or the camp, the adult camp, is really invaluable. We go through a lot of different situations with just looking at your situational awareness when you are in a dangerous situation and how to get out of that before you actually have to use self-defense, whether it's with your body or with a knife or with a firearm. So we're really trying to teach people to be present to where they are and to observe everything around them all the time before they actually have to use that. And then we have a rip and party the last night. We all dress up like Vikings. <laughs> like we all dress up like shield maidens and everybody <laughs> pull out. I couldn't believe it. Um, Cause they want people to have a good time too, you know? Yeah. So depending on who's there and what we do for the men's camp, we obviously won't do that. But um, we always, and I always bring in, um, I have Willie Braun from Reckless Kelly. Um, he played at our first women's retreat down by the fire acoustic. I mean, it was like mind blowing. I have a lot of awesome friends that we all really try to help each other out a lot. So he came and played and I always have like some surprise kind of, you know, bigger name guests show up Sure, just to make it fun. That's awesome. So obviously you're trying to get people to learn a bunch of skills coming out of it, but you also said that there's uh, the Q and a gets pretty heated, um, emotions come up, I guess, what other things are people getting out of it that you've noticed or, or that you're trying to instill, uh, in, I guess, really both male and female attendees. Yeah. I think a lot of people come, like I have a few people come going like, I don't really know if I'm going to learn anything here. I think I know all this stuff. I've lived in Idaho my whole life. I've heard this story a thousand times, right? I know how to do this. I know how to do that. Like I've got it covered and they get out there and they start learning from my instructors. 
and from me. And they're like, wow, I don't really know anything for all the years that I've been in the mountains and been hunting and been doing shooting guns. And, um, and then there's the people who know nothing and they're so afraid to come because they feel like they don't know enough to be there. And once they get there, like I just do a talk and like, we're all on a level playing field here. We're not here to judge anybody. We're not here to make anybody feel better or worse. Nobody wins or loses. We're here to help each other and to teach each other because the more you can all learn about all of these things, the more you can teach other people and your kids and the better off we're going to be. So we're talking about fear of firearms. We're talking about fear of being alone in the wild, talking about the fear of animals, which is a very small factor of anything that you need to be afraid of. Uh, we're talking about a lot of women have been attacked by men. They have been in really vulnerable situations. And when we start going through this, people start reliving old trauma. And so there's a lot of conversation that comes up, a lot of hugs, a lot of people helping each other. And by the end of it, everyone are super good friends. Everyone's helping each other. I'm learning from every single person there, you know, and it's like, we build like a tribe of people and they all leave with something empowering. They all learn about taking care of themselves and how important it is to start learning how to hunt for your own food about how to just like take care of your shit. <laughs> like at the end of the day, no one's going to save you. And people depend on that so much. Like if there's an emergency, I'm going to call 911. And I go, well, what if you don't have a phone? What if you lose your phone? What if you forget your phone because you're so panicked and you're so scrambled, you drop your phone somewhere. Like no one's going to save you and right. you have to learn how to save yourself in your whole life, not just in the woods. <laughs> this can be applied like in any city, like you need to know how to take care of yourself, period. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. I love it. I, I think that those are all, I mean, it's, it's things that I wish were more available, right? I, I wish those skills were more readily available for people, right? That people understood how important they are and how, I guess, transferable they are, right? Because I feel like in the classes that you're talking about and the information that you're talking about, right, you're getting a lot of um, self-awareness, but, you know, being able to stay calm under pressure, but then also, I mean, kind of thinking about it, like if I were to go in and sit in and, and like participate, right, you leave with a lot of confidence coming out of, out of, a, out of a class or a, a weekend situation scenario um, event like this, right? You leave and you're like, okay, hey, I know that I can be comfortable when, when shit hits the fan. Right. When it hits the fan. Yeah. 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 Not if, because at some point, you know, like, it's funny that you talked about, uh, uh, getting a flat, like you mentioned it a couple minutes ago, right. There was one time that, that I got a flat and I was like, I've like never been in a situation where I've had to change my tire. Like I've every time that I've either gotten a flat or, or like lost tire pressure, it's been, you know, enough that I can fill it up and go to the tire shop. But excuse me, I, I got a flat a couple months ago and I was like out in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, fuck, <laughs> what do I do? You know? And like, I had, or I had service that I could Google it, but I was like, man, I'd definitely be that idiot out here because like, yeah. I don't know how to, you know, like I've never had to do it. Um, we teach a car maintenance class at yeah. the very end of the camp before we kind of like do our debriefing sort of where my boyfriend who I need to give a huge shout out to, he's the one that got me involved in almost everything I know about firearms. Um, he's been instructing for like nine years and he teaches a little class. Like, so this camp there are, they're all over Idaho, but this one in particular is between sun Valley and Mackey over okay. trail Creek summit, which is all shale based. And like, if you haven't gotten a flat tire in trail Creek and you've lived here, then you haven't been anywhere kind of thing. So <laughs> right before everyone leaves and teach them how to change their tires, how to check their oil, how to jumpstart a car, 
I mean, just some really basic stuff. And lo and behold, three women all got flats on their way back to driving to catch them. So it's that perfect example too. And you don't want to be out on a dirt road, especially with your child. That's how I got involved with buying my own weapon was because I got a flat tire with my daughter, six months old in her car seat, no service. And while I was changing it, I was approached by a, a man. And that was the first situation I had been where I felt super defenseless with my child. And, you know, which brings me to the point where, you know, earlier when we were talking before we got on, on this recording, I was saying that, you know, we can all take accountability. We can all be self-reliant, but if we're not teaching our children that like the next generation, it is going to, I mean, they are the future of this country and we need to be taking care of ourselves. We really need to be educating them and teaching them at a young age about all these things. Cause it's one thing for us to know, but if they don't know too, what are they going to do? Right. You know? Right. So that's a little bit off topic, but it just, it came up to me, you know, came in my mind just as far as like, yeah, this is all great that we're all teaching ourselves this, but what about the next 17 year old, 15 year old, 10 year old. Right. Yeah. So that, that actually brings up a, a question is when you're going through and teaching, um, we'll just say the parents, um, these skills and everything, are you communicating to them as well? Hey, take these to your kids, right? This isn't just information for you. I mean, are you trying to press impress upon them to take that home as well? Yeah. And that's, you know, leaving all of the moms were like, I cannot wait to share this with my husband's because there's so many people moving here from California, from Washington, from Oregon, you know, and a lot of them are coming from big cities, you know, to find their peace in the mountains. And they're like, I know way more than my husband now. And I'll run into their husbands and they're like, thanks a lot for teaching my wife to be a badass, you know? And so they're sharing it not only with their kids, but with their husbands, with their families. And I do reoccurring kind of like brush up sort of classes for people, day classes. So we can go, as you know, shooting at the range and doing self-defense things. It's a repetition thing. You can't just like learn it once and know, right? Right. Every time I go to the range, I start at the basics over and over and over. So doing some reoccurrent training, um, and getting their families involved with them. I am doing a camp for teenage girls that are about ready to go off to college Awesome. next summer as well. So they can learn some really, really good stuff. And, um, you know, my main mission is just like, let's get as many people on this planet educated and trained and capable as we can. Like that is my number one goal. And I will create a camp or a class for anyone (laughs) that wants to learn. Okay. That's it. Do you have any like cool upcoming? So you're doing the one for the teenage girls going off to college. Do you have any? Um, sorry about that. Nope, yeah. So I'm doing one for teenage girls going to college. I am doing another women's camp next year. Um, I will do be doing my recurring classes here. I'm doing two trips on the middle fork that are um, for women and men. Uh, one will be really survivalist based and the other one will be more before hunting starts. Okay. So you can come shoot your bow, um, get your long range rifle all dialed in. You can like I said, you can pretty much, you know, right before hunting season, so you can really fine tune everything that you need to in one spot with some really, really good people. I mean, my boyfriend's teaching people how to use their, I mean, it's hunting season right now. And he's teaching a three hour lesson right now with someone who's like, ah, I'm not ready. So <laughs> I really wanted to tailor one for people that really were serious about hunting and want to learn more, especially in the middle fork. hunting back there is gnarly. Yeah. It is big mountains. There's a lot of, um, downfall with burnt trees. Cause you know, there's a huge fire back there. I mean, every step it's like, you're taking 10 steps normally hunting and hiking when you're on the middle fork. So I just wanted to give everyone an opportunity to do that. And then I'm also hosting, um, a camp slash retreat up at my girlfriend's place called Olmstead, which is outside of Bozeman. 
okay. in Montana this year. Nice. So um, I'm kind of starting, you know, my goal is to be able to spread into other um, states and different towns and anybody that wants to be involved and wants to learn, I want to give them an opportunity to come. Okay. And if people want to find you, you've got your new revamped website. And yeah. Um, I talked to my website guy today. I've actually never hired anyone ever to help me in the three years I've been doing this <laughs> done all social media, all website design, everything on my own. And I actually hired somebody for the first time. Um, and that's another thing about business is that you got to know how valuable your time is and when it's time to start hiring people to help you yeah. and to have a support team. Okay. Okay. So what is your website? And then website sure. is, um, www. Okay. And, and Instagram. Um, Instagram is Idaho Thunderbird. Facebook is Idaho Thunderbird. I'm on TikTok. Oh that no. Also- <laughs> I know, but I love making videos. Um, just like hunts take a long time. <laughs> so it's fun to be able to capture the whole hunt in like 20 seconds rather than dragging people through the entire thing. <laughs> a full 45 minute video. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I am there and it's actually, um, I've gotten a really, um, a lot of Instagram followers that are really engaged from TikTok okay. um, that follow me from there. And yeah, I'm mean, basically, if you Google Idaho Thunderbird, I should be coming up all over the place. And, you know, before we go, I wanted to say that, um, there's a couple of people I follow like Brittany May. She's a firearms instructor and Laura Zara. She's a survivalist. Um, I've, I've obviously mentioned Tim Kennedy and sheepdog Mike Glover from Fieldcraft, And I listened to Andy Frisella. <laughs> He's a wild man. But um, he talks a I lot about, name. Yeah. He, talks, he swears a ton. It's awesome. I love <laughs> listening to him, but he had, um, he was talking about ordering marketing books from this guy named Seth um, Godin, Godin. And um, I just ordered a bunch of books on, on Amazon. And it's just so important to just keep reading and keep hustling. Cause if you're not working your ass off, somebody else is. Yep. Uh, it's funny that you say that. Cause I actually went to the bookstore. I, uh, I canceled my scouting trip this last weekend cause of uh, right. the storm, but I actually went and picked up a couple books on, marketing and it's the digital you some other yeah. stuff because because being female in this business like it's great because there's not a lot of women at all but on the other hand men are people are watching me like a hawk like does she know what she's talking about is she really doing the real thing you know so that's also an interesting dynamic being female in this kind of like um outdoor survivalist slash firearms world also yeah so that's that's a good point and it's interesting because like i i've done my best to interview both you know male and female and it's it's interesting too because like i'm not staying siloed to the outdoor industry while i would say that it's a 95 percent you know i'm working on branching out being a female in the outdoor industry what have you learned that you know has helped you be successful that other women that are trying to break into it should know as well I think that you have to just follow your passion and your heart and not care what anybody thinks and don't compare yourself to other people. Just do, I hate the saying, but just like, do you do what you believe in where your heart is? That's it. And have and, and speak your truth. And you can't be like, Oh, I shouldn't, you know, when you're going on Instagram, like, Oh, I shouldn't say that, or I shouldn't be that, or she's not doing that. Or that girl's hold posing in a great picture with a firearm. And I'm just like, look like this every day for the most part. And you just have to own it and not be looking around to learn from other people, but don't be comparing yourself to other people all the time. You're always going to get backlash. Haters are going to hate straight up no matter what. Someone's always going to be hating on you. So you have to just do your thing and do what you believe in and stay true to that. Because if you start looking around at what other people are doing all the time and comparing yourself and doing all this stuff, like you just have to send it as hard as you can in your lane and 
hundred percent believe in yourself. And on those days when you're like, wah, and you're going to crash, you're like, I'm not doing this anymore. That's your motivation. Like, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm going to give myself a, a day break, but stay on your path and work your ass off because nobody's going to make it happen for you and find other people to be, to band with. The women I've met on Instagram are amazing, have been so supportive. A girl from the outdoor network, another girl, the survivalist, Laura Zara, like all these women I talk to all the time and we're all just helping each other. But that doesn't mean I don't talk to men as well. I send messages all the time. Like I full on cold blast people and just, <laughs> I do because you never know the person you're going to connect with, you know, and people do it to me all the time too. And I give everybody the time of day, you know, we're all here to help each other and all here to learn from each other. And I think that you just have to be super positive and just own it and go for it. Yeah. I love that. And it's, and to your same point, uh, I have learned more often than not, when you ask somebody for help, input, guidance, whatever the case may be, and they are knowledgeable in that area, they get so excited to share that information. Yeah, it's passion and it's true love for what we're all talking about. And a lot of people don't write me back because they're super, super busy, like beyond what I even know. And I totally get it, but I still follow their content and I still learn from them and I still listen. So you can't take that personally either. You know, it's like, what is it the, with that book, The Four Agreements? about not taking anything personal that yeah. you should read that if you haven't read it. I, haven't, but yeah. I read that a lot too, because I believe in what I believe in and I want to help people. And I know it's with all my best intentions. So that's just like what leads me and motivates me every day. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, is there anything else? I, I feel like I'm out of fresh out of questions. Is there anything else that you feel like either we missed glazed over? You want to make sure it gets out there? No, you know, I don't think so. I mean, no, I think that, I think that we covered everything and, um, and I'm really grateful for you. And I, I saw your, I saw your page on Instagram and I just thought this guy is like hanging it out there and he's going for it and he's getting some really good content out there. And, um, you're like straight up Idaho guy. So I was like, this is perfect. I'm two hours away from you. And, you know, maybe we could all meet each other at some point, but, um, I just think we need to all work together and help each other out. And I think that the world would be a better place. I agree. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. If you need anything, I mean, I, I'm just a dude, but if you need anything, I'd be more than happy to help and connect. And that is one thing that, that I feel fortunate about is I've been able to meet a lot of people, not necessarily like get to know and call like friends so much as acquaintances, but mm -hmm. it's easy to reach out and be like, Hey, you're interested in chatting with so-and-so and, you know, making connections. So, yeah. And I'm just a girl. You're just a guy. Guess what? <laughs> so is everybody else on the planet. That's true. That's true. That's, that's how I've approached a lot of these people. I've met some really, really like amazing people, but you sit them down and you're like, if you take your hat off, if you shave your face, you're just, you're just like me. You're just another dude. So. Yeah, that's right. But, but thank you for everything that you're doing. I appreciate you so much. And, um, and I hope to visit again. Well, I hope you all enjoyed today's episode with Tara. Uh, I would highly encourage you all to take a look at the classes that she offers because, man, um, they sound like a lot of fun. Uh, I feel like that if I could run away and uh, get away with it, I would spend all the time in the world at these uh, these events and, uh, and, I guess, classes and trainings and camps that she's got because, hot dang, it sounds like a good time. So I will make sure that that is all linked in the episode description. But beyond that, like I said, please feel free to take a half a second to like, subscribe, and review the show means the world to me but beyond that you guys have a great day and we'll catch you next time